Amen. It's Advent week four. It's been fun trying to understand all week how the incarnation works. Anyone in this room understand how the incarnation works? Can you raise your hand? One of the greatest miracles. And I just, I can't help but almost feel the laughter and joy of God as the mighty God comes to dwell in the womb of what is almost the unanimous opinion among scholars of a little teenager. The infinite, mighty, holy comes to dwell among us through a little girl's yes to the word of God. And I want you to know that her yes really is the gold standard of all of those who would hope to host and have Christ formed in them until we see his face. There is power when we say yes to God's word. Just say that with me. There is power when I say yes to God's word. This passage that we're going to live in this morning is in Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll read our passage together, starting in verse 26. It says this in verse 26, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Not a bad greeting. If you're an innocent 12 to 14 year old, (laughs) minding your own business, when the angel disrupts your entire life with the most important announcement in human history. (laughs) So with all of that, 
read Mary's response in light of what she just heard and try to find yourself in her mind, in her heart. How will this be? Have you ever found yourself asking God, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Can the saints say thanks be to God? What an encounter. What a promise. Of course, we have to, many times in the scriptures, look back so that we can understand the present passage. This story has a mile deep of messianic promises packed into this one little announcement. The young virgin is seeing the angel and immediately her mind goes to all of those in the story of Israel who were visited by angels and who also received promises and announcement. She was steeped in the story of Israel. She was steeped in the story of God's redemptive plan that since Adam and Eve failed that the God of Israel has been in hot pursuit since he called a man called Abram to leave his home and to go to a place he was yet later to receive as an inheritance. And then he promised Sarah in her old age that she would bear a son and then that son would bear a son and then that son would bear 12 sons and the fourth son named Judah would be the royal son and through his lineage a king would come and then Saul is anointed king and it was a royal disaster. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel's about to die. He's old, he's been a prophet, he's been a priest, he's really been the mediator for Israel in a transitionary period between the judges and the kings. And Samuel gets a word in his old age, I've rejected Saul, the prototypical king that humans would choose. Tall, strong, the first pick on the playground. Come on, who remembers the, those guys or those girls on the playground? Lance remembers. The big, tall, the ones who had it all together. God tells Samuel, I've rejected him. Go to the house of Jesse, who happens to be from the line of Judah. It's time to anoint the king of my choosing. And so it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel, you've mourned long enough for Saul. 
I've selected another to be king. And don't think, I I was looking up the name Mary, and you can just Google it. Mary, there's like three opinions on what her name means, but I think there's kind of a consensus that it means bitter or bitterness. And at the time of Samuel's transitionary word to anoint another king, and the time of Mary, thousands of years later, on the from a little tiny obscure village in Galilee, the people of God were in a bitter moment. How many would say that many of our brothers and sisters could identify that this has been a difficult, bitter moment? A difficult, where hopes and dreams may feel dashed, where our plans for 2020, it is the end of December. And we think, oh man, if there was ever a word, if there was ever a time we need to hear this word, that God has another announcement. And so Samuel goes to Jesse, and it's so incredible and so significant to me when you look at God's hand. Hebrews 12 says he's the author and finisher or perfecter of the faith. How many think God is an epic storyteller and fulfiller? And I'm so convinced that even as Mary would carry the future heir to the Davidic throne, that everlasting eternal throne that God promised David, that all of David's life, Mary can actually identify with. And here's what I mean. Samuel, go invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of all of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did just as the Lord instructed. He saw Eliab and Samuel thought, this has to be the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said, don't judge by his appearance or his height. I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the prophet Samuel's like, Eliab, nope, the big, strong, you know, probably firstborn. And then he goes on to Abinadab. He steps forward. He walks in front of Samuel. Verse 8, Samuel thinks this has to be the one. And the Lord says it's not the one the Lord has chosen. And next he summons Shemaiah, but Samuel said, neither is he the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all of Jesse's seven sons were presented before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are, there, are these all the sons that you have? And it's so amazing that Mary, which we'll get back to, this is just the background. Mary can identify completely with David's experience here. Are these all the sons you have? Samuel asked Jesse. They're still the youngest. Turn to your neighbor and say, they're still the youngest. Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields. He's watching the sheep. And the goats, Samuel said, send for him at once. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. 
Mary can understand what it is to be overlooked, unimportant, insignificant from every social, political, militaristic criterion for what you would think through human eyes who would be a perfect candidate to be a key player and mover in the redemptive storyline of God. Mary can understand that in her era, in her day, to be a tiny, young, little 12 to 14-year-old, she understands what it can be for like a David who is basically forgotten and overlooked by his own father and his whole family. Oh, there's another son, I guess. But he's out in the field. He probably stinks. He's probably not the one you would pick. Come on, who's ever thought that in your own life? I'm probably not the one he would pick. Can we be honest? I'm probably, no, my past, it's too gnarly. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up my life way too much. Am I talking to anyone today? He couldn't, no. He, I'll just stay out in the fields tending. Samuel says, go send for him. And then when Jesse sent for him, he was a dark, handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil. You just imagine Samuel walking past all seven. And he dumps the oil and he anoints David with the oil. And then watch this and then get, we're gonna get back to Mary. The, whole, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned. What I love about Mary is she can identify with David. The son that she'll carry, the heir to David's throne, she understands the storyline that she's a part of a story of a God who frequently, we might even say almost exclusively picks the underdogs, the last choice, the lowly, the least, those at the margins, very seldom at the center. Come on, how many know from beginning to end, this is how God operates? You will be hard pressed to see any candidate that was ever significant in the storyline of God, past, present, or future, that would have been the first pick on the playground. That's why I love the Christmas story. It humbles all of us. And it doesn't just humble us. I hope it puts a prophetic spark in your heart that if God could do what he did then and then through them, maybe he can still write his saving, redemptive storyline in and through my little yes and my little vessel. And I love this language. I did a little bit of a deep dive study because I knew they were, they were paralleled. David's story and then the anointing and the Holy Spirit. Because how is the seventh son, the eighth son, going to become king? Well, by the Spirit of the Lord. Come on. How is the virgin, a 12 to 14-year-old, pledged to be married, how is she going to become the temple of Yahweh? The Holy Spirit's going to come on her. Why do you think from beginning to end, 
that we think for a second we can participate and then fulfill God's destiny and purposes apart from his supernatural divine covering and empowerment. And so I looked up this language of the spirit of the Lord coming powerfully upon David. It's from the Hebrew tislak. And the, the word come upon in power literally means, it, it carries the idea that those upon whom the Lord comes upon, that they are embarking on a venture that will be successful as long as they keep submitting to and seeking the one who released the promise. Let me say that again. Tislak, it's this rich word when the, the anointing came upon David, the forgotten, ignored, oh, he's just out in the field, son. No way he's the seed. No way he's the king, future king. When that supernatural, we would call it favor, to get back to the Christmas story, when that empowering, enabling favor by the Spirit of the Lord comes, it means that at that very moment, all of your future, all of your fruit comes upon you in seed form. It's kind of like a baby being formed in your womb. David, who will end his life by giving all of his resources so that his son Solomon can build a house for God to permanently dwell at the center of his covenant people. David's whole storyline of conquering and getting the promise and Second, First Kings chapter 7, that you're the guy that I'm going to build my everlasting kingdom through. You're never going to fail to have an heir sit on my everlasting throne. One of your sons is going to be the king of everyone's dreams. The king who will rule the world. All of those promises came upon David right here when he's just a young little teenage boy. That's what the word means. The favor comes, and it's the beginning of a journey that if you'll steward and keep seeking the one who poured out the favor, you will see its fruition if you don't quit and keep on walking with him. It carries this idea of make prosperous, to be well or to thrive, and we know that there is no prospering apart from seeking the face of God. And so I love it. David, no one's choice except for God's. <laughs> and let me just tell you, if you're no one's choice but still God's choice, then that's a pretty good equation. <laughs> and this spirit of favor, this, this prophetic promise that comes in a seed form. Friends, God wants to lavish that seed upon all of us in this place this morning. It's the exact same word used in Isaiah 55, this word of prospering, of seed form, this successful journey if you keep stewarding that promise and you keep seeking the one who gave it. Which, by the way, when David is about to go the way of all the earth and pass from this life to the next until the resurrection, what's the number one thing he told his son Solomon? Not how to run his army. 
not how to handle his finances. I'm not saying that either of those things are bad things to tell your children. He tells, Sam, he tells Solomon, his son, who will build the house of the Lord, the temple, son, have a, have a heart that seeks God because this whole thing falls apart the moment you stop seeking him. I mean, he just looks right at his boy who's got all of the, he's gonna ask for wisdom. He's gonna be the wealthiest. It's the pinnacle of Israel's kings. The last of the kings before the, the, the kingdom divides north and south, Samaria and Judah. Israel and Judah. And he tells his son Solomon, I can imagine old David, who's no longer young and ruddy and handsome with a seed. Now he's gotten to see a lot of things. And he looks at his boy and he says, son, the, the oil that I was smeared with as a teenager, it will rest upon you, but you gotta keep seeking and stewarding the promise that he's given our line. And I want you to know Mary understands all of this when the angel visits her. All of Israel's longing, they all had debates on how he would fulfill it, but they were all longing for her king. And I love this. It says that Mary found, she said, you found favor with God. Well, to find something means that you're seeking. And so do I think Mary was just this bored teenager who was just stuck on her, you know, Instagram feed and just, you know, no, I think Mary was a God seeker. We don't know almost anything of her life. We don't, we, we just know the village. We know the man she was betrothed to be married and we know she's the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the ones that the Lord looks on with favor, Isaiah 66, one through two says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What will you build for me that can house me, which is the same word that Solomon had even after he built one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple. He's like, there's no way, God, you can dwell. You're not gonna be confined here. But thanks for dwelling here. But it says this in Isaiah 66 too. These are the ones I look upon with favor. Those who are humble and contrite and tremble at my word. Come on, what was Mary's posture when the angel released the word of the Lord? No word from God ever fails and let it be to me according to your word. Why? Because his word carries power and prophetic promise. If you'll respond, receive, steward, cherish, and give yourself to seeing it cultivated in your lifetime and in the lives of those that are coming behind you. Jesus, that same word of the oil coming powerfully upon David is the same word the prophet Isaiah used that when my word goes forth, it always produces the fruit and accomplishes all that I want and it will prosper everywhere I send it. That same word prosper is the exact same Hebrew word of the spirit coming powerfully upon David. And so my question is today, how many wanna prosper in 2021? That is a really weak clap. Are you kidding me? In a global pandemic, we're not even technically supposed to be meeting together. Hello, people. 
The prospering will come by being like a Mary, submitting to the God who wants to plant his seed of promise and purpose and prophetic hope upon his people again, just like he found a virgin from Nazareth. Now, obviously, she's slightly unique, the only virgin ever to conceive a human. Okay, so just so we're clear, I'm not lowering the bar on how amazing Mary is in the storyline of God. Hello. But did you know that the exact word that's used for every person that's born of the seed of God in the Greek is spermata? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, it says those who are born of God overcome the evil one. The word born and the seed that, listen, the seed, 1 Peter 1, 23, that's planted in you that will ultimately save you if you'll steward it, cherish it, keep seeking the one who spoke and promised, you will bear the fruit that lasts for all eternity. You'll prosper. That's good preaching. That's the word, that's spermata. It's those who are born of the seed of God. Paul could say, the, you know, the great church planter, the great apostle, the, you know, it, you know we, we think he wrote at least 13 letters, maybe more. Hebrews is debatable, probably Paul. Paul will say this, my singular goal, if you think this feels a little weird that Christ and his seed and being formed is weird. Well, it is a little weird, but it's truth. Paul said, my whole entire goal as an apostle and as one who preaches the gospel in all the nations is that Galatians 4.19, someone help me out, what is it? That Christ would be formed in you. Did you know that Mary serves really as a prototype how God wants to come upon all of his children and conceive his life by the Holy Spirit so that we, the fruit of our life, would be Christ and his kingdom? All of us, every person, Mary, a completely unique, bringing forth the Messiah. The church and all of those who would submit to God's word of promise become like carriers of the life of Christ that he wants to form in us so that his life and his virtue and his fruit can flow through us. This is what God wants to do. And I love David, how, I, you have to imagine David's like, dude, he's probably stinky coming in from the field. I don't know, maybe he has to hang up his harp because he's singing to God and the, you know, the stars, I don't know. But when he's, that, the spirit that comes upon him. Fast forward hundreds, thousands of years to our Christmas announcement. Mary looks at the angel. She's like, dude, it's in the Greek. Dude, this side gets it. It's not really in the Greek. Dude is a, a word that was invented in 1963. Don't go, I'm just kidding. Just Google it. When was dude invented? Because now I'm actually curious. She looks at the angel and she's like, how is this going to happen? How could I be the carrier and the conduit of what you just spoke about, all of the promises of David and Jacob and the kingdom? 
And he says, here's how it's possible. With God in the mix, all things are possible. She's from Nazareth. She's not from Jerusalem. Nazareth was the equivalent of our modern language from the other side of the, of the tracks. <laughs> Napomo, okay. Let's get very contextualized here. She's from Nazareth. This is why later Nathaniel in John's gospel will say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come on, that's what Nazareth was known for. She's a virgin who's now told she's going to become pregnant, but she's not had relations with a man, and that's a slight cultural taboo. Come on, somebody. Imagine a teenager having to explain to her parents and her contemporaries the life that's conceived as me is from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine having to explain that to your friends? Okay, nobody can imagine that. Don't, don't say yes. Zero clout, zero status from the eyes of man, but yet God chooses her. We know about Elizabeth, we know about Zechariah, they're priestly, they're, they're righteous. We don't know any of the pedigree of this young girl, except for that she found favor with God. Come on, someone say, I may not be known to them, this or that. I may not come from means. I may this, this or that. But when God comes to me, he comes with favor, not because I could ever do anything to earn it, but that's the kind of God that we serve. And I love that only God would do this. You can't make this stuff up. Mary's not from the line of David. Mary's not from a place of prominence. She's not from a place of significance. She has nothing, quote unquote, to offer God except for her yes and her womb. <laughs> She's not even from the line of David, so how's God gonna fulfill that one? God will fulfill that one through this guy Joseph's submission and partnership to this same wild dream to save the world through a seed born of a virgin. Even God fulfilling the Davidic promises, he looks for a human partner to give a yes. I guess I'm saying the Christmas story highlights one of the most important kingdom dynamics we could ever understand. When God wants to do something, very seldom does he just do it himself. He's looking for partners. He's looking for people who will say yes to it. The only way that the Messiah has David's credentials, which then means he is the rightful heir to the everlasting eternal throne that he promised David, is if Joseph takes Mary and goes through with the marriage. I guess the whole thing, it's like if one person says no, does it all fall apart? No, I mean, God is the king and he's sovereign. But what I love about all of it is how much he includes us in his storyline. It just makes me, I just... It just overwhelms me to think, God, dude, that's so weird. I mean, any of us who would have written the story would not have written it this way, I promise. 
It would have been this born here. They had everything, and it was just God's word coming upon them was just a slight improvement on their already decent, good, upstanding life. And God's like, nope, that's not how I work. I take the most unlikely, never picked scenarios and situations because it brings me glory that when my people realize it was never about what they had to give or bring, it's always about prospering by seeking me and stewarding my words of promises over their life. Is that good? Is that good enough? Can we land the plane a little? I want to. Does that make anyone else happy? Does it offend anyone else? Yes, it does. Because how many would say, by way of humility, I don't always view those people at my table, those people in my neighborhood, those people in my family, through the eyes of God's prophetic hope for their future. And that's offensive. That's convicting. I write people off. I write people out. I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me that like 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, I no longer view anyone from a worldly point of view. Come on, somebody. That's what this story, it, it, it brings us to an encounter with how are you going to judge and assess those around you, including yourself, when it comes to participation in my redemptive storyline that I want to write until I come and I make all things new, the second advent. Paul says it there, he's like, we, we, we all made the mistake to view Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through worldly eyes, and we all missed him except for a handful. Come on, 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 10 says the rulers of the age, they didn't see the hidden glory of Christ, and that's why they crucified them. But in their blindness, God fulfills his redemptive plan. And the Savior is ushered in. Emmanuel is brought forth on the earth. God becomes man, the most amazing passage in Philippians 2. And like David and like Mary, Jesus will forego his might and his strength and all of his D divine pedigree, Philippians 2 says that he'll make himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human appearance and being found in appearance as a man. He would humble himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God his Father would exalt him above every name in heaven, on earth, and under the sea, and every knee will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But even Jesus' storyline is just like David's shocker and just like Mary's. So maybe today you're like, Chad, I, I, when I think of 2021, gosh, I sure would like to be intentional. I want to prosper. I want to... Chad, I, I, I want to... I want to participate in what God's going to do and what he's about to do in and through my life. I said it before and I'll say it again. The greatest thing that you and I could ever adopt, the greatest posture is let it be to me according to your word. 
Mary, you found favor. We know the ones that God looks on favor as those who are humble and contrite and tremble at his word. Friends, there's a reason that in all of the calling promise passages from Abram to Moses, Gideon, I just go on. Most all of them have to wrestle with the implications because in the arm of flesh, they know that they don't have what it takes to see it through. Which by the way, is the only criteria you and I have to have to be useful to God. (laughs) Right? We can't. It's not by might or by power. My kingdom is not of this world, John 18. If it were, all of my disciples would have fought for me. The rules are different. The way is different. And that's why it's the only everlasting way. The way of my kingdom is rooted in the nature of the king. And he who came through a submitted, yielded, full of questions, God, how's it going to happen? I don't understand. This is crazy. Honest, but surrendered and submitted is still the way he comes and wants to grow and manifest his life on the earth. It's the same way. How many want to say yes to quit running trying to be the author of our own story and to receive the word of promise this morning that you and I are invited like David, like Mary, like Jesus himself receiving his vocation announcement from the voice of his father at his own baptism. How many want a fresh awareness? How many want to be freshly smeared for the spirit to come upon us that we could be victorious and prosper and be successful as long as we keep stewarding and seeking the face of the one who spoke the word of promise? Come on. All of this through a young girl's yes. What could he do through us? Just think about it. What could he do through my little yes? What if your yes and the promise of the power and favor and anointing of the Holy Spirit was enough? A humble shepherd boy, overlooked by his father, despised and forgotten by his family, the youngest of the sons became God's chosen man. Mary, a humble young girl from the middle of nowhere, Nazareth, a little, like N.T. Wright calls Nazareth, a country bumpkin, off the beaten path is God's chosen woman. All of this screams, Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are beyond anything you could ever imagine. The ones that I look upon with favor are those who are humble and contrite, not the proud, the arrogant, that put together, that I have it all figured out. It's those who think, oh my goodness, could God really use me, that the Holy Spirit wants to sweep in and say, you better believe I can. All I need is a yes, and then a yes, and then a yes, and then a yes, and then a yes. And then another yes, and then a yes, yes. This is the story of Christmas. This is how he came as a man. And this is how he still comes and is formed, fashioned, and fills so that he can flow through his people. 
through our yes, through our surrender to his epic kingdom purposes. David's parting words, I already alluded to them, now I'll read them. To his son Solomon, my son, learn to know God. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and every thought. If you seek him, you will find him. That word little David got. You'll seek him if you find him. All of those promises in seed form. as an invitation to seek and to steward the God of promise. And by the way, he who promised, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, is faithful and he will do it. So my first question before I invite everyone to stand to pray Maybe today you say, Chatty, I've never even said yes. I am not born of God's seed. I know what seed I come from. It looks nothing like Jesus. And you say today, I want to, what the Bible calls in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 3, that you can be born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. I just wonder in this room, if there's anyone today that would say, I, I'd like to receive the everlasting, eternal word of salvation, that seed that comes to conceive new life in me. If that's you, could you just stand to your feet or raise your hand just so I could pray with you? I know most of you. It's awesome. Anybody else you wanna stand and just say, I wanna receive that seed, that new life seed, That's so amazing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand and these that have stood. Right now, the Bible says the way to be born of new seed is to confess, I want to be born again. I believe, Jesus, that you're my savior, you're my king, that your life and your death and your resurrection provides all that I would ever need to experience forgiveness, freedom from my sin, a brand new hope and a brand new eternal future. And so Lord, I pray, even as Mary received that word and the spirit came, Lord, I pray for the word of salvation to conceive salvation in these who've raised their hands or stood up. And the Bible says that when we receive his promise to heal us, to save us, to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says we become a new creation. The Bible says that in John chapter three, we're born again, now into God's family to grow into the image and likeness of our big brother Jesus and our father called Abba by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, thank you for saving, for healing, and and right now, just for the new life of Jesus 
being manifest in my friends this morning. In Jesus' name, we all shouted amen. Let's give a roar. Bless you for standing. And I know this might be the majority of us, but I just love responding to the word. How many, I mean, it's not, nothing magical, but again, I think Mary was a seeker. I think she was crying out for Israel's Messiah. I can't prove it. I don't have a chapter, but I think she was like, God, when are you going to come? And I, I just think God responds to hunger and to submission. And humility. So if you want, like David, I love the, the, the languages of smearing, the oil, the, the promise, the favor. If you want to be freshly smeared with the Holy Spirit, with the anointing of God's blessing and favor, not just for you, for you, but for those around you. Come on, somebody. Could you stand? I just want to pray for just that fresh outpouring of God's love. If you just, just today, Chatty, I, I want to sign up again. I want to give God my yes, just like Mary gave her yes. I love it. Let's just open our hearts and our hands. Yeah, just in your own words, just pray what we just talked about, the favor, the empowerment, the work of the Spirit. It says in Luke eleven thirteen that Jesus said, the Father gives the Holy Spirit without measure to those who ask him. Come on, what do you think God's without measure looks like? Come on. And so Lord, just say, just unapologetic, Lord, pour your favor out upon me so that your favor can flow through me. Because there's a whole world out there that needs to know there's another way to live. There's another way. There's another purpose. There's another path. And all of those things find their center in Jesus Christ, our King. And so, Lord, in a season where so many are without, so many are struggling, so many are like just bobbing in the perpetual chaotic waters, Lord, you want to pour favor on a people, not so that we live on the Hampton, on the hills, but that we can go into the highways and byways carrying the favor and the fruit and the fullness of our God. So Lord, I'm praying that you would pour out favor on your people in this hour. Unapologetic, Lord, that there would be a virtue, there would be fruitfulness, there would be fullness that flows through a people that have a yes in their heart to the word of the Lord. Lord, I'm asking that my friends would flourish in their workplaces. I'm asking that there would be a marked difference, that all of these would have their end. They're just the means to the end of giving Jesus, our King, glory and honor and power and praise for how infinitely good and glorious he is. So, Lord, I am not ashamed to ask, pour out your favor upon our church. Pour out your favor upon our people. Then, Lord, teach us to steward that favor so that it increases. So there's not just enough for us. There's enough for all of those in our family, all of those in our relational networks, all of those in our neighborhoods, all of those in our workplaces, God. This is the economy of our King. So, Lord, I pray like David and like Mary and then like Jesus and then like the early church in Acts 2, I'm asking for the fresh endowment with favor and empowering of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, Lord. What an hour to become those people who are peculiar, who are given over to God's epic purposes in the earth. 
And so, Lord, right now, just say, I receive it. Just like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, we all shouted amen and amen.